1: Now, it's the rest stop. With Brad Restituto. comes up to the pocket, fires the right side, caught by Digs. Stay, Stay up! Oh my God! Oh my God! okay! No,
0: Touchdown! No, no, no. no. Are you kidding me? It's a Minneapolis Miracle! I got three words for you. You like that? Yeah. Welcome to the rest up. It's Tuesday, March 30th, 2021. We come to you live every Tuesday and Thursday, 9 o'clock Pacific time. The rest stop, you can check it out on twitch.tv slash Chris Landry Football or on my Twitter page at Brad the Believer. Brad Restituto on Facebook. We go live as well. And if you miss any part of the show live, check out the audio version of the podcast on any of your podcasting platforms. Search Landry Football Conference Call. And then sub- subscribe and like the YouTube channel Brad the Believer. Spence, we got to get right into it. March Madness. Coming down to the wire, we've got eight teams going down to four. Gonzaga's already punched their ticket to the Final Four. And a great finish going on right now with under 10 seconds to go. in the East Regional 11th seeded UCLA Bruins taking on the number one seed, Michigan Wolverines. And last I checked, Spence, there was about six seconds left. UCLA was up one with a one-and-one free throw. They hit one of the two, and then Jawan Howard called a timeout. And the show started, so I didn't get to see if he was able to convert the second of the two-and-two to make it a three-point game. And then Michigan coming down with an opportunity to uh, try and uh, tie the game or take the lead. Spence, uh, (laughs) from what you're telling me here, there's still about three seconds left. I don't know if you missed the second end of the the one-and-one, Spence. Uh, What what update can you give us here Uh, the East, uh, <laughs> East Regional, Michigan, number one seed, eleven seed, uh, UCLA. We're coming right yes. down to the wire here.
1: So it looks like they put a little time left on the clock. There's six seconds left. U.S. Uh, UCLA, 51, Michigan, 49. Uh, I'm not sure whose ball it is at the current moment. I'm actually just popping into the game myself. But uh looks like they're about to head out back onto the court. R- Lots of plays. It looks like UCLA might have the ball, so Michigan's probably going okay, to have – as well,
0: okay, maybe UCLA is now coming out of the timeout for the second part of the one-on-one. I'm not sure exactly, um, but we'll see if we can follow that. While we're waiting, Spence, for that game to end, uh, a game that did end earlier, the number one overall seed in the tournament, the Gonzaga Bulldogs, they handle USC pretty easily. The Trojans, a sixth seed. Gonzaga gets to win 85-66, and Gonzaga pretty much led wire to wire in that one. They're passing – was impeccable. Their shot selection was fantastic. And they were up and down this court scoring 85 points, uh, which is one of the top scoring outputs of the tournament thus far. Uh, great first half for Drew Timmy. Uh, Jalen Suggs is supplanting himself as a possible lottery pick. And uh, just an outstanding performance by Gonzaga. And they looked almost unbeatable as they're heading into the Final Four and looking to either face UCLA, UCLA or Michigan here as this game's winding up. Spence, what can you tell us? Are we under five seconds, under four seconds here in this game?
1: Still a pause, although I think Michigan may have just missed a shot and they're reviewing who it was off of, out of bounds on. Yeah, I'm looking at the replay now, and it looks like it is going to be Michigan's ball. So so they'll
0: have a chance to either send it to overtime or win the game?
1: It looks like it, yeah. With about one point, uh, I'm going to say 0.5 seconds because as the ball's going out of bounds, it doesn't touch until about 0.5 Michigan wants to get a shot off quickly, but 0.5 seconds, I think, is uh, more than enough to get a Yeah, Michigan shot. had
0: many opportunities, Spence, here in the second half. They were down for the most part of the second half to UCLA. They fought back. Uh, they took the lead up one, and it was back and forth for the last four minutes of the game. Michigan had plenty good shots at the basket in the, in the final 30 seconds to either tie or take the lead. They could not convert, and US- UCLA made just enough shots down the stretch to take the lead. And it looks like from what you're telling me here um, that with 0.5 seconds, it's going to it's gonna be very difficult for Michigan to send this game into overtime. And UCLA may be advancing as the 11th seed to the final four to take on Gonzaga. Uh, just a, a fantastic game for um, for for Zhang, uh, Johnny Juzang. He's had a, a really great game tonight. He's had 28 points. He's not missed a free throw. He's been uh, – the leading scorer in in, in a very low-scoring game between UCLA and Michigan. And Michigan had their chances. Uh, They just doesn't seem like they could get the job done. Is the game still have a little bit of time spent?
1: I was correct. It is going to be 0.5 seconds, and Michigan will have the ball. Juwan Howard's trying to uh, call up something nice here. Uh, they should try to get something going towards the basket. But well, they've got some defense. big
0: guys. They've got Franz Wagner, big guy. They got Dickinson, another big body down there, and Davis, who comes off the bench. He's had uh, seven points off the bench today. He's been he's a big body down there. We'll see if Michigan. Um, we'll see if Michigan can can get kind of kind of a, a miraculous play here with with under one second left in the game. Spence, you can give us the update. I do not have a TV in front of me, <laughs> Okay. Uh, Jawan Howard in his second season, one one of those seasons, wasn't a complete season with Michigan, getting them back to prominence and a chance at a Final Four. UCLA and Mick Cronin uh, played in the first four, Spence, and only they will be only the second team to go to the Final Four as a first four participant. VCU, Virginia Commonwealth, led by Shaka Smart, was the only other team to do that in 2011. So uh, a very improbable play with under one second left to try to get a chance to tie the game.
1: Uh, uh, final. Yeah, so Michigan did not make that shot. So uh 5149. That that is a very low scoring uh semifinal or I should say quarter finals, but entertaining nonetheless. I, I enjoyed it very much.
0: And Mick Cronin Spence, who for a brief cup of coffee was the head basketball coach or the potential head basketball coach for UNLV here in Las Vegas, that did not work out for the rebels. He goes to UCLA prominence in Westwood back to UCLA. The Bruins will be in the final four. And Spence think of this for a second. Imagine if the ball brothers maybe would have stuck around there. They may not have stuck around with Mick Cronin as the coach, but that's kind of interesting to think of as you see this UCLA team with the uh, LaMelo Ball would be, I believe, a sophomore, and Leangelo would be either a junior or a senior. Uh, that'd be co- kind of fun to watch the Ball brothers with UCLA in the Final Four, but that's just wish- wishful thinking as Mick Cronin leads this squad uh, to the Final Four in a two-point victory over Michigan, and I believe they were seven or seven-and-a-half-point underdogs coming into this game. They outscored Michigan 27-23 in the first half and did just enough in the second half Johnny Jazang led the way with 28 points, a really fantastic performance by the top player for the Bruins. And Mick Cronin, they've shown shown his dad quite a bit, Spence, in in these stands. UCLA is punching their ticket to the Final Four, but a very, very tough battle against the Gonzaga Bulldogs, who have pretty much steamrolled through this tournament and the regular season, posting an undefeated record on their way to doing so.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if any team looks impressive enough to even stand up to Gonzaga. Every game is going to be individual, of course, but golly, do they seem to be so together. Although I will say, my favorite team in the tournament, and I've been talking so highly of them, and it's been working out for me so far, is Houston. Just how locked in defensively they are, and uh, you know they're steamrolling as well. They if they can beat Baylor, I have a pretty high confidence that they're not that Gonzaga won't just roll right through them. I I, I think gonzaga in terms of getting to the finals can't be any happier all the opponents that people said that they didn't want to face they basically have not had to period to get to where they are now and uh you know it'd be great to see him get to the uh, finals they've been a team that have been around for a long time never been able to go over the hump despite having some pretty good players including uh brandon clark who's just went to the nba recently to play with the memphis grizzlies and uh you know i i think Besides the fact that, you know, it's special to have an undefeated season, I I think a lot of people in the country are behind them as well.
0: Yeah. You mentioned Houston Spence. I believe the only team, and I could be wrong, but uh, from what I've been reading, the only team in history to get to the final four by defeating all double digit seeds, Houston, they deserve credit. They've only got three losses on the season. They took care of Oregon state yesterday. They did not cover that spread as Oregon state hit a three late Um, and, it was Houston, I believe, that won sixty six uh, or 67, 61, or six. They won by six points, I believe. And um, but Houston has played very good defense, Spence. And regardless of the seeds that they've beaten to get here, they certainly earned it. And they've got a real opportunity to get to the championship game, taking on uh, number one seed Baylor in the in the East. I'm sorry, in the West region um, quarterfinal, semifinal. And so Houston will be taking on Baylor and a uh, real opportunity for Houston to, to punch their ticket to the championship game, which would be the first time I believe since 1984
1: Spence. Yeah. A lot of these teams, is, it's, it's really nice. I mean, you, any of these matchups, none of these teams have been in the finals in a long time. Uh, I don't know if any of these teams, I, I, these are not household names that you hear all the time going and in deep into the tournaments the days of Dukes and all of those kinds of Kentuckys. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's nice to know that they're nowhere near. It's kind of a refreshing March madness and really one of the big reasons why we love it so much.
0: Spence, let's go back to the Gonzaga game, the first game tonight in the West region of the Elite Eight. Gonzaga got the win 85-66 over USC. USC is six seed led by freshman uh, Pac-12 player of the year, Evan Mobley. He had 17 points tonight. He was seven of eight from the free throw line. Five of 11 from the field, but Gonzaga Spence. I was only able to watch the first half and just a tidbits of the second half, but they were so on point. And the first half was really the half to watch if you were a Gonzaga backer because they outscored USC 49 to 30. Drew Timmy finished the game with 23 points, five rebounds, four assists. Jalen Suggs had 18 points, 10 rebounds, and eight assists. Spence, the way that they pushed the ball up the floor and moved the basketball was just textbook. Mark Few uh, just seems like an outstanding coach and not seems like he's proven it, his track record over the years. But this team was moving the basketball so fluidly. They were taking good shots. Uh, they were playing with great energy and great pace. And they made it look very easy for one half of basketball, taking care of USC by 19 points. And Gonzaga's got guys that can do it up and down. Drew, Drew Timmy, Corey Kispert had 18 points. We mentioned Suggs. A.I.E. had played 29 minutes, had nine points. Aaron Cook off the bench had eight points. They really only run about seven deep for most of their minutes, Gonzaga. But these seven guys are just a handful, and they're so textbook, fundamentally sound. And they're going to look really, really tough to beat. We've seen some flaws in some of the other teams, Spence up into this point playing close games, playing not complete halves. But this Gonzaga team, I believe, has beat everybody by double digits. They're 30-0 on the season. They had a scare in the uh, West Coast Conference Tournament um, with BYU in the first half. but They came back and won that game, and I believe they won by nine. Uh, So Gonzaga's been tested throughout the season, and they've answered the bell each and every time, Spence. And they're starting to hit their stride. And the Elite Eight winning by 19 points is quite impressive.
1: Yeah, and uh, just the way they do it, it I mean, obviously, they, they play very quick basketball, very modern style. But I think at the core of all of it, they just seem to play the game uh, at the opponent's weakness, where they just identify what they're not good at, whether or not it's like guards posting up in the paint, which is something you just never see anymore. Wherever they feel like they can just use you and abuse you, they, they do it. And also, they're just great fundamentally on defense. They don't run any crazy schemes like at Syracuse. Uh, they just find a way to take away the best things that you do. And God forbid any team tries to like keep up pace-wise with them. There's just no team in the country that can do that. I'm not sure there's a t- team left in the tournament uh, who even has a style of meticulous down low i mean you could probably say michigan or alabama but obviously those teams don't even aren't even in the tournament anymore so as of right now of course it looks like gonzaga might just coast to a finals victory no matter who they play but we'll see i mean i guess they've had moments of weakness but it it could just be one of those weird days where something like that happens uh but it 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 would be a fluke that's for sure They, they look destined to take it all
0: Spence from Monday's Elite Eight action. You mentioned the Houston Krugers. They're the number two seed in the Midwest region. They beat Oregon State at 12 seed, 67-61. dejon Giroux for Houston had 10 points, eight rebounds, eight assists. And you mentioned Houston's defense. Um, they held Oregon State to 17 first half points. That was incredible by them. They win the game by six. And they really have a, a, a really good opportunity to knock off Baylor. Baylor, who took care of the third seed Arkansas Razorbacks, 81 to 72. Makai Oteague had 22 points, five rebounds, two blocks for Baylor. Baylor got contributors up and down the board, uh, scoring 81 points, 46 of those in the first half. So it will be Baylor versus Houston. And one of the final four matchups in Gonzaga versus UCLA, as UCLA knocked off Michigan today. 51-49, 51-49, the 11C Bruins move on to the final four. I know that there's a lot of big blue fans, Michigan fans, who are 23-5 and five on the season. One of their best players, Isaiah Livers, out with an injury, missed the entire tournament. Michigan fought hard but in a great low-scoring matchup tonight, but UCLA was able to prevail. Michigan had plenty, plenty of shots towards the end, but they just could not convert. So, Spence, I do think, like we talked about, Houston's got a real shot to beat um, – to be Baylor, I, I don't know if the same goes for UCLA over Gonzaga or anybody versus Gonzaga. I asked Ken Thompson, a college basketball ep- expert and host SportsX Radio, who, who he would take Gonzaga versus the field. He took the field. Now there's only two more games left for Gonzaga to be holding that trophy. doesn't look like there's going to be a formidable opponent if Gonzaga continues to play the way they have played here in the last couple tournament games.
1: Yeah, and uh, the thing is that Houston obviously is probably the best defensive team left in the tournament, but I'm just not confident in them enough that they can score. Like Gonzaga, we know, can can score at quite an impressive clip, and you would hope that maybe as a Houston fan they cancel it out, but you're never going to fully stop Gonzaga. And uh, if they get outpaced and everything like that, I think Baylor would definitely fall into that category, that Baylor would try to just outrun them and I, I can't see that working out very well. And then, you know, is, does UCLA have enough firepower just in general to take on Gonzaga? Probably not. Um, Houston is probably the country's best chance if you're, like, rooting against them. But even then, I, I think there's too big of a gap at this point. And we, it rarely rarely have we ever talked about a college basketball team like this.
0: Yeah, and I think if any team is going to have to be deep enough to take down Gonzaga, I think Baylor maybe has that depth. But the way Gonzaga – just was so on point tonight. It really seems difficult for, for anybody to, to beat them. Uh, they've been tested in the regular season. They are hitting their stride. They're so confident confident right now, and they have a 30-0 record. Uh, so I, I think it's it's Gonzaga or nobody, but we'll see. I mean, this is why they play the games. This is why March Madness is what it is, because anything is possible. Uh, Gonzaga just went by the book tonight, and they handled USC pretty easily. And We thought Michigan was going to be taking on uh, Gonzaga – in their regional final, Uh, but UCLA knocked them off. And UCLA has got a lot of confidence right now coming out of the first four. Now representing in the final four, it's just going to be so tough to beat Gonzaga. So I think Gonzaga really certainly has the easier road to the championship game. And if they're healthy going into that Spence, very, very well coached, unblemished on the season and and the type of chemistry they're playing with right now seems unmatched. So we'll follow that and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens and the final four between these four teams matching up Spence. Let's uh, let's hit some NBA news as uh, the NBA did have some games on the slate tonight. Spence, Uh, before we get to the games and some of the highlights uh, I'll go over some of the scores briefly as there's a couple finals, the Denver nuggets at home. They took care of the 76ers tonight, one Oh four 95 Michael Porter jr. Nice night for the Denver nuggets. He had 27 points, 12 rebounds, four assists. Uh, The, The Charlotte Hornets, they're two games above 500. They do this without LaMelo Ball. Gordon Hayward had 26 points, 11 rebounds tonight. The Hornets knock off the Wizards 114-104. Russell Westbrook, another triple-double in impressive uh, statistical fashion tonight. As he did last night, he had 22 points, 15 rebounds, 14 assists in defeat for the Washington Wizards. Looks like it's uh, a final In Phoenix, the Suns improve one of their top records in the Western Conference to 31 and 14. Dario Saric, uh, one of the leaders in the stat box for Phoenix tonight, 20 points, five rebounds, two assists as the Suns knock off the Atlanta Hawks 117-110. And it's about to be a final in L.A., the Orlando Magic, who pretty much have down to nobody. Uh, with Kawhi Leonard leading the way for the Clippers. The Magic are going to get a big upset win tonight. It looks like 101-96 may be the final here for the Magic. They will win the game regardless in L.A. Spence, before I let you get to some of the highlights, let's talk about some of the moves, a couple guys getting bought out and making their home with new teams and and possibly championship contender teams. We'll start off with the Spurs' LaMarcus Aldridge. LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, I believe, was bought out. And then he decided to sign him with the Brooklyn Nets. Am I right there, Spence?
1: Yeah, he did. And uh, the report initially from Woj was that uh, he was going to meet with several teams. And I guess he may have. But it sounded like a pretty quick meeting if he did. Because he signed like a day later after his buyout with the Brooklyn Nets. And, uh, you know, he joins a casting crew of Blake Griffin, LaMarcus, all these kind of guys. They recently signed someone from the G League. But that won't be nearly as important. It'll be interesting to see what their roles on this team is. I mean, on paper, these are two former All-Stars and guys who were mainstays in the NBA who have big names. Uh, but in their advanced age, these are two guys who went to situations that apparently did not suit them very well. Blake Griffin was traded, so he didn't really have a choice. But Lamarcus signed with the Spurs. And, uh, you know, through one reason or another, it hasn't worked out very well. Uh, so does he have enough left in the tank? Was it really, like, just being on the Spurs, not fitting in their culture? Was Blake Griffin really just a lazy piece of garbage? Uh, you know, when he was with the Pistons and simply refused to play uh, because of his trade. I don't know. Uh, But they don't get a lot of playing time, actually. They're kind of one of the deeper bench guys. It's almost sad to see that, and especially sad to see that both of those guys willingly sign for them, like, you know, just to get a ring ultimately and uh, not kind of take a little bit of the pride out of the game and not care too much about winning and more about, you know, the success that the team already has.
0: Spence, I know... You don't like the defensive chemistry or their defensive ability of the way that this Nets team is put together, but it's a laundry list of guys with name recognition and guys with talent. Kevin Durant, though, Spence, I mean, what's going on with him and his injury situation? The guy hasn't played basketball in over a month, and when are we going to see him again? Because I don't know. I don't care if it's LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, Kyrie Irving. I don't know that the Nets could go all the way and win the title without Kevin Durant.
1: Yeah, I I really doubt they could. They they would probably still make the finals because no one in the East is just putting up any sort of competition. Uh, At this point, everyone's kind of mailed it in. The Knicks are climbing. You know, not that they're a horrible basketball team or anything, but, you know, they're not, they would never be a fourth seed in the West, in my opinion. So, Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to say is that, uh, you know they're gearing up for the finals. They're one way or another. I don't think they're even. I mean, the Bucks are definitely going to be their biggest competition, but they have literally done nothing like in the past three years because Giannis still can't play in the half court. That'll always be the fundamental issue with the team, outside of any other issues that they have. Uh, the Bucks kind of match up the best against them too. Drew Holiday on Kyrie, uh, Giannis would be on KD, and PJ Tucker would probably guard James Harden. And I don't think you can get a better three guys maybe in the league on that, but. I don't think they're going to be able to score enough and and kind of lock them down. There's always going to be those shortcomings as well. But yeah, Kevin Durant's dealing with that hamstring issue, but he's not in a rush. I mean, we all saw like what happened last time when he can't rush back from injury. He almost ruined his entire career. So I think he might be taking more extra time than he would earlier in his playing days, just because of that's on the back of his mind. And Steve Nash is a first year head coach. He's not going to tell him no.
0: Spence, you mentioned P.J. Tucker with the Milwaukee Bucks. What is the situation with Austin Rivers? I heard he was going to be signing with Milwaukee. He was a part of the trade with the Knicks in Oklahoma City, uh, got Austin Rivers in the trade, and released him. What's the status of Austin Rivers right now?
1: Yeah, Austin Rivers is going to be signing with the Bucks, and also uh, Jeff Teague, he's also going there. So, I mean, they're assembling a group of guys, no doubt. Uh, they've always had a bench problem, so, I mean, that's too – you know, good players to have. Of players, yeah. Yeah. So they definitely feel like they have the team to beat the Brooklyn Nets. And that's, that goes without saying. Uh, But um, again, like I said, this team lives and dies by Giannis. Giannis is going to get 24 points a game simply because he's so big on the fast break, or whatever the case may be, off the pick and roll. But that doesn't matter in the final two, three minutes of the game when it's really tight and it's all about half court. I mean, his inability to have a go to move and his passing is also not great. They're one of the worst teams in crunch time, despite having a lot of talent around them. I'm not really sure exactly what the issue is. I don't watch them on a game by game basis, but that's those facts remain, and they are just simple facts. There's no debating those things. And if it wasn't true, then they probably have been in the finals by now. Maybe even won a championship.
0: Spencer the Wiz, follow him on Twitter at Spencer the Wiz. I'm Brad Restituto. Follow me at Brad the Believer. The rest stop every Tuesday and Thursday, nine to ten o'clock Pacific time. Spence, another acquisition with the buyout situation. Andre Drummond, the big man, signs with the LA Lakers. Talk about this. I like it. I think Andre Drummond is is underrated as far as his recognition and his skill as a big man. This guy. Has put up 20, 25-plus rebounds in a game multiple times. He certainly gives you a nice presence down low. He's got some offensive skills. I think when LeBron James comes back healthy, along with Anthony Davis, this could be a good lineup on, on the court for the L.A. Lakers. I like the signing, and it's it's well needed with the Lakers as – Dealing with injuries right now, they're they're in a bit of a tough patch in this part of the season. We'll see how Frank Vogel navigates it. And when do you expect Andre Drummond to to have his first game with the Lakers, Spence?
1: Yeah, so it should be really soon. They just beat the Orlando Magic by like three points the other night. But Anthony Davis will be back before LeBron James. So I was actually talking about this earlier with a friend about whether or not an Anthony Davis led Lakers, no LeBron James would uh, you know could be successful. Not, you know, they're obviously going to need him for a finals push, but just for the regular season. And uh, my body pointed out that, well, Anthony Davis has kind of been in that situation his entire career, and that has not translated to winning outside of, like, sneaking into the playoffs as the A seed. Uh, but, I, again, I think this is just a long-term plan for the Lakers who are looking to face the Brooklyn Nets in the finals. And if there is a weak point for that team, because it's not going to be scoring, it's on the glass. I mean, they have they are going to be running Jeff green at the five position a whole lot of times and it'll kind of be that balance i think if the lakers and brooklyn do meet each other there where andre drummond's gonna have like 18 rebounds in the game but jeff green is gonna cook him see that's the thing like i think the lakers can live with a jeff green andre drummond matchup jeff green will probably you know hit a good amount of his threes but Would you rather lose in the finals because Kevin Durant, you know, went off on you or because Jeff Green kind of dominated? He's never really been able to do that in his career. So if the Lakers want to give up six threes to Jeff Green a game, I mean, I think that's fine with them. As long as that means that Andre Drummond is extremely successful on the defensive glass and the offensive glass and just cleans up for them all the time. And Anthony Davis, you know, he has the ability to guard one through four. Andre Drummond doesn't, so that could be a little awkward. But I, even if he's faced up against DeAndre Jordan, I think, you know, Andre Drummond is significantly better than him at this point in his career, and you, you can even go down. I guess the West. If I mean the Lakers facing the Clippers, they would love to have. I mean, they are going to have Andre Drummond, so they're going to love to have him because, again, that's always been the weak spot, and they haven't addressed it at all. The Rondo signing certainly does not address their problems down below. They think Zubots is going to be the guy to do that, but. I mean, Jokic cooked him last year in the playoffs, and I think Andre Drummond can do something extremely similar, maybe in a different fashion. You know, he's not going to be running the offense, but on the like, he's so weak, and I think Drummond plays great enough defense to where Zubats' offense just won't matter at all either.
0: Spence certainly, the the Brooklyn Nets will have a serious rebounding problem if you see the likes of Andre Drummond, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James on the floor. I mean, no, no, Lamarcus Aldridge is a a solid big body, but comparative to those three guys, it could be a lot of trouble for the Brooklyn Nets on the rebounding perspective, second-chance points, uh, which we've seen in March Madness has been crucial for teams. Houston has dominated the offensive boards in some of their games and it's equated wins for them and some other teams as well in the NCAA tournament, and it probably will equate equate the same thing in the NBA playoffs. Teams that can dominate the offensive glass and make a good amount of their free throws will be teams that overall – Become more successful, and that'll be a, an issue for the Brooklyn Nets, and that's why they'll definitely need KD at full strength because that guy, um, he, his length, offensively and his ability to get others involved. Look, we know we know that James Harden could score, but it hasn't equated any finals for James Harden. So they're going to need Kevin Durant at, at full strength to really get them to where they want to go. Spence, let's let's hit some of the highlights tonight as uh, a couple nice upsets in the NBA, but a short card only, I believe four games in the association tonight and spence if you've got some highlights let's uh let's go over some of the scores and highlights from tonight's nba action
1: yeah absolutely so yeah it was a pretty light night and uh i kind of only have highlights from one of the games but they are sure. quite entertaining and uh there are some a couple of things i i would like to talk about but yeah gordon hayward obviously i mean everybody criticized him and for michael jordan for signing this big contract but at this point it is proof that gordon hayward you know maybe got a little too much money but it's not like he's one of the worst contract like skill to money-wise ever. And, you know, I think he had six field goals in that first quarter alone. I think this was the sixth one. Started that one down by his waist. It slung that one in. and Somewhere Dolph Shays is smiling. Gordon Hayward again! Oh, yeah. His sixth first quarter field goal. Yeah, uh, so they got it going, and it was a pretty close game uh, up until the end. And Cody Zeller, you know, is kind of a silent guy who's been on that team for what seems like 500 years just kind of getting a little better in one of those old fashioned classic good roll to the basket kind of dudes. He gets a big slam here. One second. Devontae leaves it. Oh, Cody and a tomahawk. Thunder. Real big first half for Cody Zella. I feel bad for him. I feel like a guy like that should just shave his head. Like, what is he holding on to? It's like thin out here, and it's just gone. I don't know. Uh, what's his name for the Lakers actually did end up embracing it, which I appreciate. Alex Caruso. Uh, um, and there's actually a lot of Cody to Cody uh, synergy. Cody Martin as well. Another guy for the Hornets who has been around that team for a few years now. And the developmental system just kind of works out. They haven't been making the playoffs, and now here they are in the fourth season in the NBA. Shot clock resets to fourteen, and a steal. Martin took it away. Long. Oh, a beautiful Nolan pass. Cody to Cody.
0: Spence, yeah, does, so they... surprise, does it surprise you at all that the Charlotte Hornets has been able to sustain some of this success without Lamelo Ball?
1: Uh, to a certain extent. I mean, I think he really, you know, brought up the team just energy wise and kind of instilled a winning culture, I guess, a little bit, which is kind of insane to say from a rookie. But uh, I, I do think Lamelo joined a good situation. Uh, the Hornets, you know, have been very low key, but they've kind of hit in the last three years, which is important. You get Devontae Graham, you get PJ Washington, you get Miles Bridges. None of those guys are going to be MVPs one day, maybe not even all stars, but I think that's what everybody gets caught up these days. And when it comes to team building and maybe even the Bulls to a certain extent with Vucevic, where it's just like, Oh, I have talent. that's all I need. Like now you really need a collection and a cast of guys who fit into what you've been doing for a long time. That's what made Brooklyn so good. That's what's got them into this position. Not because they had KD, but KD and Kyrie would have never been there if they hadn't established some sort of winningness in there. And that was brought by carrot, uh, Karis, Laver, Jared Allen, all of those guys that, uh, you can go back to. And I think that's what the Hornets are doing now. And, you know, they got Gordon Hayward to get there. Maybe not the biggest free agent ever, but certainly an upper echelon. So I think as players try to see what's going on, and if Lamelo really does turn out to be as good, all of that they've been going through would be 100% be worth it. And when you do as- finally assemble that team, m- maybe that means you trade the assets like P.J. Washington, like the Brooklyn Nets did, or maybe you keep them around because I think these can be contributors on playoff teams moving forward.
0: Spence, if you're the Charlotte Hornets, how do you avoid an Orlando Magic situation where you're over 500, you secure a playoff spot, but you can't quite get out of the 7th, 6th, 8th seed and start competing for conference titles?
1: Uh, well, we that's where you and I kind of fundamentally disagree because I think Orlando has played their cards perfectly to this point. Look, you can't go for a finals run every year when you're not the Lakers or the Celtics like that. I, Orlando is a very nice city and they, they should always be able to recruit, but sometimes it just doesn't work out. They accumulated some, uh, some really good talent. And instead of letting them walk, they brought them all back. Cause they, you know, had whatever they had going on. And then they were able to flip them for great assets. Now are all the picks that they got going to be perfect? You know, probably not. No one ever really does that well in the draft ever. You just never know, right. You can do all the scouting you want, but You know, I think they have finally built a foundation in which they believe that they can build upon. I like RJ Hampton. They get a rookie from this year. One of the most highly coveted uh, or, you know, middle round guys, probably outside of the lottery, one of everyone's favorites picks. Wendell Carter, I think, can be a contributor on a finals team. I think he could be a starter as long as, you know, you have significant help elsewhere, like all pro level talent or all NBA guys. But And again, I think Otto Porter could also be. He's only two years removed from 17 points per game. If you can kind of get somebody to come along, a a very big name, or maybe you draft a guy like John Moran or Zion Williamson, then you'll start seeing a lot of success. And I think they're doing it right. I think they have... Manage player relationships very, you know, very well. No one has left the team. Vucevic hasn't had said nothing but great things. Evan Fournier kind of understood the situation that he was going to be a free agent. It was never going to go there. He never like used that against Orlando at any point uh, in the season. And Aaron Gordon, you know, it was a mutual thing. Neither of them wanted to be together anymore. I don't think he also said it. He just said it. Just it ran its course and it didn't work out. And I want to get traded. So I think if you can have those be the building blocks of your franchise. Then if the opportunity comes along because you never know when it will, it's just one of those spur of the moment things where the Brooklyn Nets, you know, in in that example, where they're just like Kevin Durant wants to come here with Kyrie. I don't know why. I mean, maybe we put the pieces together and that's how you do it. But they every single offseason for a long time, they looked awful. Like we can't forget that just because it's working out now doesn't mean we can't forget all the years of pain. You just want to do the right thing in the context of each season. You either make championship moves towards a championship or you don't. Those are the two choices that I see in every franchise. And championship moves are not always acquiring the biggest name out there.
0: So, Spence, my question to you is for the Charlotte Hornets, what are the championship moves needed to be made between now and next regular season to have them in the conversation to have a berth to the Eastern Conference Finals?
1: Nothing. I don't think there's anything that they can do. And the worst thing that they can do is try to trade for someone like Busevich, who we all know won't be good enough to get them to the finals. So I think the championship move is to sit on the assets that they have and wait for some name, whatever it may be. Maybe it's like a Steph Curry or something like everyone is already talking about it. And I've said the plants have already been seated in the Warriors. Right? So I think things are starting to run their course there. And th- maybe he's not ha- unhappy this year. Maybe next year he starts to get really unhappy, and then maybe you have to wait until that next off season to get him. You just have you have to put yourself in position once a name like that becomes available to be in that. Because if you start signing a bunch of free agents to too much money that don't deserve it, then you don't your ha- your name's not even in the hat, and that's how you ruin it. So I don't know. Maybe Steph Curry would be available this off season. That's kind of the biggest name that I can think of at the top of my head that would you know help them go to a championship game.
0: That's Spencer Ostrovsky. Follow him on Twitter at Spencer the Wiz. He also has a show on Friday nights called Delivering Sports locally in Las Vegas on AM720 KSHB. Make sure you follow his YouTube channel as well, Blue Milk Boys Gaming. That's Spencer Ostrovsky. Spence, uh, let's, talk, let's keep it in basketball, but some controversial news on the Twitterverse and around uh, the pop culture scene. Uh, Nike doesn't really have a lot to do with this next subject, but they're Nike shoes that are being talked about. Uh, I guess this rapper's name is little Nas X and he will be coming out with a Satan shoe. Uh, if you're not familiar with Satan, uh, also known as <laughs> Lucifer, uh, the devil, and this uh, shoe will have a pentagram and apparently a drop of blood. And it has Luke 10 as a scripture on there talking about from, uh, the Bible when Satan fell from the heavens or something like that. Uh, Spence, as you know, I've come out on this show and talked about uh, my Christian faith and my newfound commitment to uh, God, church, and life. And uh, so I don't want to lose my mind too much over something that seems like a very big publicity play. Um, But it is kind of interesting to me. We're in a cancel culture and we want to be outraged over everything and cancel everything. Uh, But there's not as much outrage as I would have anticipated there being on this uh spence what were your initial thoughts i'm sure you gave it a chuckle what do you know about this little Nas x and uh, i haven't heard of most of these guys that are rappers or have came out like I, I can't really tell you any music that's came out in the last two decades probably so i'm not really familiar with this guy um but he's clearly trying to make headlines with this decision to come out with a satan nike shoe
1: yeah, so this is a very multifaceted thing. So I, I actually have a clip for this. Shoe was inspired by a music video that he did, which is like very uh, kind of vulgar. So you, you'll see it. It's kind of about him because he came out uh, as a, a gay man, and now his music is kind of reflecting his transition to that being public about it. And uh, this may have been a little much to some people. So I'll play like a six second clip so we don't get you know taken off the air. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, you got, you get the idea. It gets a little more like intense than that. If you can believe that. Uh, So yeah, so he goes like basically, I don't really know the full context of it, but of course, you know, the whole gay thing and how, like obviously that's been a very played out narrative throughout history. And he was kind of touching upon that and his experience of being a gay man. And this company uh, came out and wanted to do a collaboration with them the fascinating thing about this story actually is that Nike is suing them because this is not a Nike shoe it they basically took a Nike shoe and redesigned them and resold them that's insane like Nike did, does not make the shoe produce this one the company just buys them out and then does this to them and of course you that is copyright one point like 2.0 <laughs> absolutely that is not something. Now, if they just designed their own shoe and then a collab, then that's fine. But you can't take, I mean, they, they, even, they didn't even take the Nike logo out of them. They kind of made this as like this version of the Nike shoe, which is super illegal. And Nike actually just won a major lawsuit against a company who did something like that. So they're going to get the bag twice. So Nike's going to have a very nice year on their portfolio coming ahead. So I think this trial is going to be extremely short. This doesn't fall into parody laws. This is a very serious thing. And uh, they're just straight up not going to win. Little Nas X uh, is not going to get sued in this. He's actually not a name on the lawsuit. They kind of just went to him and said, hey, look, here's your shoe, and you'll make money off. He's like, all right, cool. And the thing about him also is he, the reason he makes music videos like this, like, this guy started out as a fan page for uh, Nicki Minaj, I'm pretty sure, or Cardi B, one of those two. Like, he's he understands how to play the game, just like Nicki Minaj and Cardi B. Like, in their music videos like WAP, of course, like that's going to elicit a lot of attention on social media. So by people saying they're boycotting Nike and stuff like that, you are just helping him by boosting his social media tag rate. I, people just are so silly. And also, I, I will also say this, and like I, I'm not in support of Satan's shoes, of course. That's really weird and stupid. But at the same time, by you saying you're boycotting Nike while tweeting on your iPhone – uh, made by child slaves or you shop at Walmart and they are destroying small businesses. Like this is where you draw your virtuous line. Like, come on, dude, either it's, you're okay with everything or you're not. Nike also has like child slave workers who get paid pennies on the dollar. I have owned Nike stuff. I'm sure you do too. We all do. We all have iPhones and phones that were all made in factories. So why is it now that you decide that you care about the greater good when in reality you don't? When you shop and do all these things for companies that do unvirtuous things, I think it's very silly. And it also happened with Carl, uh, Colin Kaepernick, and Nike. I'm not shopping at Nike anymore. After they went back to shopping at Nike about three months later, after everyone had already forgotten about it. So this is all part of like he's. You've just fallen into his hands if you are outraged and raging over it on social media.
0: Spence, you make a great point there, and this is. My whole frustration with this entire cancel culture, it's like we get to pick and choose which things we want to be outraged over when you make a great point there about if you're really outraged over one, uh, you should be taking the in- entirety of the circumstances in the situation and foreign child labor practices and, and unethical moral practices with, uh, with with some of the manufacturing overseas is, is certainly an issue um, that isn't talked about enough. And with a lot of these big name companies that really don't give it, they don't care about anybody, uh, but their bottom dollar. So I wish that was more into the conversation, especially when you're talking about professional athletes and social justice, um, what they want to put on their T-shirts and outrage over, but some of the things they don't talk about, which are some of the things you mentioned right there, Spence.
1: Yeah, uh, so that's all I mean. You It's not always going to be perfect, and also, it's just kind of the way merit culture goes, where we all care about this main idea for a month, and then we all forget about it, and we go on to the next thing. We have short attention spans, just like this storyline where everyone says, and Nike's stock is probably going to drop, whatever, even though this has nothing to do with them. A lot of people think this is like a publicity stunt to kind of like ruin the name of Nike, because... Unlike you know, just like myself, until today when I was doing research on this, I didn't know this wasn't official official Nike shoe. I thought they were doing a collaboration for this music video. But no, it's a different company. And you know, now Nike's trying to reverse those damages and, and obviously separate themselves, which it which they will in the end. And there will always be people out there who think that this is Nike shoe.
0: That's Spencer Ostrowski. Follow him on Twitter at SpencerTheWiz. This is The Rest Stop. I'm Brad Restituto. Follow me on Twitter at Brad the Believer Spence, Let's go to some NFL news, and we'll start off with the 17-game addition uh, to the NFL schedule. That's one more extra game in the NFL regular season, and it looks like it'll be uh, matching an AFC and NFC team against each other. What, what are your thoughts initially on this, Spence? I mean, it's something that the Players Association agreed on. There's going to be some monetary compensation for the players in this. It certainly adds to uh, the already grueling schedule as a football player, a professional football player in America. Um, this, this is really a year-round sport to keep your body, mind, uh, and spirit in shape. For 16 games, now we're going 17 games, including the playoffs. It seems like kind of a big deal. Uh, I know some people are mentioning it as a really huge deal, but it seems like one to me.
1: Uh, This is a big deal. And uh, again, this is another thing with a lot of layers to it. And this all goes back to the new collective bargaining deal that the players had, which I thought was a joke submitted to the players from the NFL. Like one of those initial feeler offers that you just send and just be like, this is the baseline of where we want to start debating. And what they, in the end, the player association just blindly agreed to it. And I'll tell you why this is a disaster for them because the, the price they paid is now NFL players get to smoke pot and not be suspended for it. That that's one of, that's one of the biggest things that they had talked about, right? But the real issue here is that the average NFL career is now going to be shorter. It's like two and a half years. Well, I'm going to say on average with an, an entire extra game and probably one less preseason game the career is going to go from like 2.8 years to 2.5, meaning that the NFL has to pay less health benefits now than they do for fringe guys who may have career ending injuries at the end of their career. So instead of addressing that, the big time guys like the, the guys of, who are the head of it, who make the hundred million dollar deal said, as long as you take care of us, we don't really care what happens in the end. That's what I feel like is happening now. And also, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a, his, not really much of a historian, but I, I do love stats. And I do think they're a good part of the game. And now it's going to be like infinitely more impossible to compare guys, because in like 20 years, there will be kids who didn't even know that there was a 16 game season. If you look back and be like, how good was Derek Carr during this time? And you're like, Oh, he only had this many yards this year when everyone else has now like at least Mm -hmm. 4,000. Not that I would ever defend Derek Carr in my older ages. I'm going to talk about how terrible he was, but you know what I mean? Like, now the guys are going to have regular 5,000 yard seasons and 4,800 yards and everything's just going to be a little more inflated. And I think that takes a bit of away from the game. And I've never felt like the season needs to be an extra game long. I get that that brings in extra money, but again, I, I care more about in the NFL, the guys who have three year careers than I do for the, the guys who are so famous and powerful that they will always receive health benefits because they can afford them on themselves. But a guy who made his way up from the practice squad finally got up in there and then tore his ACL during a preseason game, or maybe he got a a career ending concussion, or he had so many concussions in college football that he just wasn't able to continue going because of his injuries in the NFL. Like those guys are going to be the ones drinking soup out of a straw when they're 45 years old and having no benefit from Roger Goodell because they don't want to pay them. That is the price you pay for a 17th game, which sounds a little extreme, but it is the truth. I believe.
0: Spence, I agree with you. I, I don't see the need for a 17th game. I really don't. I mean, I think the structure works out very fluidly how it is with 16 games. I don't mind. I think it worked out well, the additional playoff spot that uh, was added last year on in both conferences. I think that worked out pretty well. I, I, I just don't know that I'm on board with this 17th game, but it is what it is. This, this is something that It's not negotiable at this point. It's going to be in the cards and the teams are going to have to deal with it. The teams, players, coaches, and staff and fans are going to have to deal with the 17th game. And I'm sure from a watching and viewership standpoint of the fans, they won't mind it. But I don't know that there was a need for it. Uh, It's going to happen. So we're going to have to deal with it. And and you're spot on with the records that are now going to be having to change or tarnished or compromised or an asterisk next to them. I think that's silly. Uh, it, it, I mean, football uh, stats are, are certainly year to year and they're manufactured based on those games. I mean, I guess when you go back before the 70s, before stats were recorded and there wasn't 16 games, uh, but I mean, with Spence, we're talking back then when social media and technology wasn't where it was now where you have all of this stuff readily available so it's going to be very skewed in the eyes of people trying to look up information 10 15 years from now when you're talking about 17 games compared to 16 games and then you're trying to uh, analyze and, and grade players based on on a 17 and 16 game schedule it's going to be a big deal eric dickerson has held the season-long rushing record for many, many years, and there's a good chance that that's going to be broken very, very soon with the 17-game schedule, as you'll only need to average about 123 yards uh, for 17 games to beat that record.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's just insane. And uh, I think also when you talk about the game in the 70s to now, I do not see the game evolving drastically that much over the next 10 years, meaning that players are just literally going to benefit from this new system. We're also seeing that in the NBA as well, where we're almost peaking of what it means to score in a basketball game. You can only score so many points in that allotted time. We're not loop-de-duping the ball around, playing in the post for 24 seconds, like shock. Like even when you get an offensive rebound, you only have 14 seconds to score. So guys are getting almost to the point of pure efficiency. And we're I don't, we're definitely far from that in the NFL. I think a lot of coaches still have the old mindset of we need to run just pure pro offenses, when in reality, you should just be tailing your entire offense to the guy who you're running it around. But uh you know, the rushing records, that'll be gone first. I and mean, Passing records probably won't be far behind. Uh, I think, actually, we had those years of Matthew Stafford having 5,000-yard seasons. Patrick Mahomes, I believe, had one during his MVP season. But now they just won't be that special anymore because plenty of guys will be throwing the ball a bunch of times. Someone like a Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow, I'm sure, will have one or two of those in their career when they probably may have never had one ever before that.
0: Spence, let's move into the big pre-draft trade over the weekend. The Miami Dolphins were involved, and they've been uh, a team since Brian Flores took over as the head coach that have been in the news as a, a team very, very fastly on the rise as they seem to have ter- turned the Laramie Tunsell trade to Houston into multiple first-round picks, and they've moved up and down the board, acquiring Tons of draft equity, Spence, and they do it again over the weekend, giving up the third overall pick to the San Francisco 49ers. They move back to 12th and then trade again with the Eagles to move up to six. And, man, it just looks like Brian Flores has done a masterful job and being able to put a young roster around a team that was already fighting for a playoff spot. It looks like Tua viola the quarterback that went in the top five last year to the Dolphins, it looks like he's going to have an opportunity in his second year Uh, to improve on his first year. A lot of people are ready to pull the plug early on Tua. Um, It's just a really tough situation, Spence, because Brian Flores is is really doing an excellent job building uh, this Dolphins team and this roster. They do it again here. And, And my question before we talk about the Dolphins side, the San Francisco 49ers, who are two years removed from being in the Super Bowl representing the NFC Conference, Many people are talking about them drafting a quarterback moving into that third spot, and the writing could be on the wall for Jimmy Garoppolo to be moving forward. Um, but what where, where where are the Niners in such a hurry for to move up? Why now, Spence? Why now? And did you have to move up to three to get your guy? I mean, it clearly is saying to me that the first two guys are probably going to be quarterbacks. So that leaves you Mac Jones, who you have in the picture there, Trey Lance, and Justin Fields. Uh, You have it written here, Spence. Who do they want so badly that they're moving up to the third spot? Spence, before I give you my opinion, give me yours.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'll actually show you some of the footage from Mac Jones' Pro Day today. Uh, It's a little funny. But they didn't go to North Dakota State. Well, the thing about the North Dakota State is (laughs) when you talk to, as you look at Coach Belichick and Josh Josh. (laughs) McDaniels. I would would hate so badly to look back and see Belichick giving that kind of look and shaking his head. That would be so depressing. but. Uh, yeah, so they had his pro day. Justin Fields also had his pro day. He threw a 67-yard bomb to Devontae Smith. Uh, pretty impressive. Uh, so no one really knows who they want. But this is actually very peculiar because you know Trevor Lawrence is going to be taken number one. That's, that's, you know, obviously. Number two, you t- we think it's Zach Wilson, but that's kind of up in the air at this point. Any Like, that's not a sure thing. Not as sure as Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion. So it's strange to me that they're willing to give up so much when they quite literally have no idea who is going to be available to them. They must either be okay with Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, or, you know, Justin Fields, like so much so that they're willing to take either of them there because they give up three first round picks. They technically only are missing out on two because, you know, they're giving up this year's to move up. And then the other, the actual price is the two of the first round picks in the later years uh i don't know and they may want to do a situation where they draft someone like mac jones and playing behind jimmy garoppolo for the next few years kind of like alex smith and uh, patrick mahomes maybe that's their plan i'm not sure but man they must have done their scouting and just think that that guy's going to be able available at three and they're willing to do anything to get that guy
0: well spence let me uh put your mind at ease and any 49ers fans uh because i will tell you one thing that is not going to happen and i don't care what this jabroni michael lombardi uh <laughs> former bill belichick front office guy nfl guy he does not know what he's talking about all you have to do is think logically here mac jones will not go number three to the san francisco 49ers or anybody else this is not a slight and mac jones but just let's be logical here mac jones before this whole draft process was not talked about as a top 10 prospect at all whatsoever and what does mac jones do that's completely different than anybody that San Francisco has on the roster right now. He doesn't do anything completely differently. So why would you move and give up multiple first round picks to draft a guy who may be mentally superior and has played great competition in college football, but he has never played an NFL game like former Alabama predecessors before him Name me an Alabama quarterback in the last two decades that have come in and has been a a Super Bowl quarterback or has been a Pro Bowl quarterback you're probably not going to name many so uh, I think this is a terrible smokescreen I think the people that are putting this out there are out of their freaking minds it's not happening at all whatsoever. Not saying that Mac Jones can't be a fantastic player, but they are not moving up to three to take Mac Jones. It's not going to happen. Think logically. Mac Jones does not do anything swimmingly differently than people you already have on that roster. Now, I don't know why people are sliding Ohio state quarterback, Justin Fields so much. And apparently he's moved down draft boards or he's not in this conversation uh, for the number three spot. I think he is and should be in the conversation. The guy uh, for many, many uh, of months and weeks was talked about as one and two next to Trevor Lawrence. Clearly I think BYU Zach Wilson has moved up uh, the draft board. Trey Lance is in the discussion. Um, But if you weren't, I was 100% sure it wasn't going to be Mac Jones. I don't know if today influenced anybody, but he was playing against no defense and no pads and couldn't consistently hit a deep ball with no coverage. So that you can say what you want about that, but that shouldn't be happening at an organized structured pro day, especially an Alabama pro day, for a guy that is suspected to go – Number three overall by some people, please. It's not happening, Spence. 49ers fans, it's not happening. Anybody else that wants to put your smoke screens on Twitter, all you have to do is use your football brain for 20 seconds and realize it makes no sense. I don't care what you, how smart you think Mac Jones is, even if he's the smartest guy to ever uh, have a wonder look test. He's not a Peyton Manning. It's just not. There's no, Peyton, there's no other Peyton Mannings besides Peyton Manning. Uh, I mean, just stop this nonsense. Will Mac Jones be a solid player? Possibly. Let's think about the other team, Spence, drafting that would want to take a, a quarterback high. The Denver Broncos. What does Mac Jones do completely differently than what Denver has on their roster? The Chicago Bears. Yes, they are probably in the market for the quarterback. Are they going to be moving all the way up to take Mac Jones? The San Francisco 49ers are not going to move up to the third spot to take Mac Jones. I think there's something else in the works here because look at the other teams that would be in the market for a quarterback and where would they move up to get that quarterback. San Francisco was already drafting 12th. You don't think Mac Jones could have fall to them? And if he wasn't going to fall to 12, you could have moved up to maybe 9 or 10. Number three, there's something fishy about that, Spence.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I mean – it's just crazy to think that they like Justin Fields that much because you talked about Alabama not having good quarterbacks going like translate into the NFL. Ohio State might be worse or just as bad. AJ McCarron played in a playoff game as a starting quarterback. You can say that at least. Uh, I mean, you want to go down just the Braxton Millers and, you know, I mean, Terrell Pryor, so many guys from Ohio State that were highly touted. I guess, you know, technically speaking, none of them have been this high as being one of the top names, and maybe he's not interviewing well, but I, I, I really, this is one of the most shocking moves I've seen in a long time, uh, you know, from a team, but they, they have something going on in, inside that they know that that guy is who they want, and it could be Justin Fields, I mean, if they can hone in his skill, I think he has a little bit of a problem with short accuracy to medium accuracy, uh, but those kinds of things can be taught, and his athleticism, he ran a 4-4-4 today, and he wanted it to be in the four threes, and the fact that He's even aspiring for something like that should be very attractive for any football team. The way the NFL offensive going, and you look at Patrick Mahomes' performance in the Super Bowl. Man, he was like one of their best running backs the entire game. So clearly, the game is evolving to that level. No, but Tom Brady, the ultimate pocket passer, did end up winning it. But still, we both know that that's not going to be around forever. And every quarterback eventually going to have the have the ability to run. Mac Jones will never do that in his career. And uh, again, like you said, he wasn't. He only has been talked about like this over the past like three days for some reason. I don't. I don't really know where it's coming from. His one good season was a great season, seventy seven percent completion percentage, of course, and he was very good in the championship game as well. We'll see. I mean, that's kind of the best way that y- you can put it, man. Like you just never, never know. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I think there's no chance Mac Jones is taken third overall. That'd be such a mistake by their franchise to give up three first round picks like for someone like that.
0: Spence could it be a Jamar Chase or could it be a Kyle Pitts? I mean, uh, if you want to Maybe. talk about adding adding complete explosivity to your offense, those are guys to go. If you're if you're an Oakland Raiders and you see what Justin Jefferson's done this year, if you could go back and do it again, would you have given up uh, a couple first round picks for the production you got out of Justin Jefferson. And Jamar Chase is supposed to be better than that. And if you look about a, a team that maybe was looking to draft a receiver high, the Dolphins were probably on that list. And you want to talk about sliding over. The, if the Niners don't take Jamar Chase at three or Kyle Pitts, one of those two guys will go off the board to Cincinnati in the top five. So it won't—it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Niners are moving up to add to the playmakers offensively because they need a little bit more playmaking offensively, Spence, when they're healthy. I mean, you'll have Brandon Ayuk, but what about adding Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, and Jamar Chase? Now we're talking about a team that if stays healthy on defense, if Jimmy stays healthy, he has a chance to get back to a Super Bowl. So don't be, I, I know know. people are thinking this is crazy that you don't give up multiple first round picks for anything besides a quarterback but I say not so fast Jamar Chase uh is looked at possibly uh, as he would have been the best receiver coming out last year so if you know what you got out of Justin Jefferson who was the most productive receiver uh in the rookie class last year and you think somebody's better than that I mean why not
1: yeah no one's forcing them to take a quarterback that's for sure so they could just be like you guys can guess what quarterback we're taking all the time but we have Jimmy Garoppolo for the next two years and I think we're good with him and he brought us to the Super Bowl and if we can give him maybe a little more help then maybe we can just go right back and do this again and maybe win this time
0: Spence, I want to save some of the stuff you had uh, for today's show for Thursday. Uh, so, everybody, make sure you tune back in Thursday, 9 to 10 o'clock Pacific time, as Spencer the Wiz will give some breakdown and analysis of tattoos and his tattoo venture coming into the future, along with some other information on some famous influencers and YouTube stars. So, make sure you tune in, again, 9 to 10 o'clock Pacific time on Thursday for the rest stop. Uh, I want to thank Spencer Ostrovsky. Follow him on Twitter at Spencer the Wiz. I'm Brad Restituto. Have a great Wednesday. We'll see you back nine o'clock Pacific time on Thursday for the rest up. Have a great night. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say: your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over a hundred social casino style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 18 plus.